0: So we found ourselves in the perfect storm of trying to record a podcast. We've got we've got a baby, and a new. Can I still call Roger a new baby? How old is Roger now? Probably not. I mean, he's pretty much four months old now. That's still fairly, in terms of he can't do a lot for himself. Well, <laughs> is, is he yeah, is he doing a lot for him, is he doing a lot for himself at this stage? <laughs> yeah, he's off on his own. That's exactly. It. See, he's so. Dumb. So Roger can't do a lot. So we're, we're still going to call Roger a new baby. Now, I've got homeschooling, which takes about four hours a day. If I'm to do everything they set on a daily basis, you're looking at four hours and you've got to factor in time when they just go rogue, which is <laughs> another four hours. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got homeschooling, which is, say, four hours. And then, unfortunately, a, a um, member of my family is ill. It's it's very brutal and there's and obviously in these times we can't visit them so there's a, there's a lot going on there so we have found ourselves in this perfect storm which is why it's sunday wouldn't normally record on a sunday no. <laughs> but it's sunday we've managed to persuade our other halves to look after the children and we're yep. just taking a little bit of time to have a proper catch up because we wanted to do can we can we still do a proper AO roundup I mean it feels like the Australian Open was a lifetime ago which is kind of normally the way with tournaments but can can we still do because lot's going on can we still do a little Australian Open roundup what do you think Uh, yeah I I guess so I guess so it does feel
1: like a long time ago but yeah
0: it does doesn't it and okay what were your big okay what were your big takeaways from from Melbourne and Australia whether it be on the court or off the court
1: well I think actually I mean it it's a bit of a roundup but also just a kind of a bit more looking ahead and, and the markers that have been put down because for me Osaka is just looking like she's levels above yeah. uh, pretty much all the other players uh, and something that people might not like this but this is this is just kind of what I think oh you're
0: going early right, oh, okay, I know. right. straight in there <laughs> I love upsetting the listeners this is this is Sunday Naomi we, we've never recorded on a Sunday <laughs> um, but
1: when Serena was at her peak I used to think that she would probably only need to play about 50% of her best tennis and she would win slams. Uh, And if you remember, there was that one French Open where she was pretty unwell, had a really high temperature and was operating at quite a low level for her. She still won the whole tournament and was struggling through a lot of rounds there. I I think Osaka, while I wouldn't put it at 50%, I'd say if she's turning up and playing at 75%-ish, she will find a way to win. I think that really she is now the player that everybody else has to hope does not play well so that they have a chance of winning. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah It, it used to be like that for Serena for a long time, right? And now I'm not putting Osaka in the same bracket as Serena in terms of level or achievement at all, but it's just starting to get that vibe of she's stretching away from the pack.
0: Well, a lot of people were saying during the Australian Open when they were looking at Osaka, it was like looking at you know, a 15-year younger Serena Williams and how she was about the tennis court. So, look, comparisons are being made. Osaka says that Serena Williams is her idol, one of the reasons that she's playing. She always watches her when she can. But everyone was watching Osaka because it's how clutch she is now towards the end of matches as well. I think that is what is so frightening. Against Magarutha, what she was 15-40 down, double match point down. She then didn't lose a point. It's how clutch she has become towards the end of matches you put it together with everything else how comfortable she is off court on court the team she's got around her and look we said this before the tournament there's just something about her she's 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 in a league of her own at the moment it feels like
1: yeah she really has just come into her own she's leading her team I think she's leading the charge and as I say I think she is definitely head and shoulders above the rest I'm not gonna say that okay she's gonna dominate because people are always looking for somebody to dominate which I don't I don't really know why people are looking for that because I think it's it's been great. Think, that We've had so many different winners.
0: I think she might though. I, I think I don't think she's she's going to play. Look, she's coming back. I think in Miami. I, don't, I think she already seems to be playing a fairly pared down schedule, something that the Williams sisters have done for years, and maybe that's the uh, that's the reason for for longevity because you're saving yourself a little. But in terms of getting to the top and staying there, if she. <sighs> Okay, who comes closest to Osaka? Who are Osaka's greatest rivals and challengers going to be? Well, I
1: think that the only person who who can play at the same level would be Bianca Andrescu. But she doesn't play very much. <laughs> so, she's not really much of an issue. And now post-Australian Open, she played in the Australian Open. She looked pretty good, actually. It looked quite encouraging after 15 months off the court. But... It, 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 yeah, I kind of felt like okay, she might be up, able to get up there and form this sort of rivalry with Osaka, but she's now injured again. She's got a leg injuries. So she had to pull out for a little while, and so you, of course that is going to be her greatest struggle. But ultimately, when she has played, she has won, and she has played at a devastating level. And they're both kind of hard court players. So could you imagine sort of a U.S. Open final? the Open final between the two of them both playing really well would be incredible. One thing for Osaka, the comparisons between her and Serena, big issues when it comes to, say, Roland Garros and Wimbledon. It takes yeah, a long yeah, time yeah. to get used to those surfaces. And Serena was able to do it a bit quicker, I think, because she was just that much better than everybody else. It didn't really matter what surface she was playing on. And I think the grass for Osaka, the only way anyone can get used to the grass is by playing it year after year after year after year because it's such a short season uh, and it didn't happen last year. So, of course, she's dominating on the uh, on the hard courts already, I would say that she's dominating, but uh, you
0: know, the other slams will be interesting to see how she picks up on those surfaces. So is that why you feel that she might not be one to dominate for the future just because the change in the change in surface? And yeah, on a hardcore, I mean, boy, but when it comes to the other surfaces, she's vulnerable, at least at the moment, she's vulnerable. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at Serena, she held all four slams at the same time. Yeah.
1: Djokovic held all four slams at the same time. That's the sort of... I mean, look. I'm not comparing her to Serena, although I just did. But I'm only <laughs> I'm only doing that because, like you're saying, people are saying that she is a Serena 15 years younger. I wouldn't put her in the same category um, and the same level as Serena. I don't believe she'll dominate as much as Serena did. Um, I think that she's doing something different. Uh, but what she's doing is absolutely, absolutely phenomenal.
0: Where would you sit... Iga Swiatek at the moment and all this She just picked up the Adelaide Adelaide title. She beat Belinda Bencic. Where with her game I mean look, she's still a teenager. She's the Roland Garros champion, but where does she sit with you in terms of being up there and and challenging the players around her?
1: Well, I think we've got to see how she settles. Of course, she won Roland Garros without batting an eyelid. But it's a... And this is encouraging now that she's picked up another title because it does show that she's sort of settling into that. But she's very new to the top 10 and to that sort of level. And it's just, you know, she's got to let... Even Osaka, after she won the first two slams, it had to settle for a while. She had to get a grip with it all. And now she's pushing on. I don't think that Shiontek will be arrival of Osaka in terms of level I think she will fall into the the pack that when it comes to the hard court slams everybody's got to hope that Osaka is not playing her best for one match and that somebody else is going to be able to capitalize and that will open up the taunt for people I think that's going to be the next few years as I say with the one exception the one question mark over Bianca Andreescu if she can stay fit and healthy but that's a big big question mark but for Shontek should always be in the mix. I think Tech could be looking at being pretty strong on the grass and the clay with her game style. That might suit her a little bit better.
0: And Serena Williams, uh, she's probably always got a lot of thinking to do, but you really feel in terms of her tennis career and where she goes from here, because she's still very competitive. She's still going deep in tournaments. She looked as fit and as agile as she's done in years, but is it enough for her? Is it enough for Serena Williams to be putting all this effort in and getting to quarters and semis of finals that she used to clean up, as you say, at 50%. She's 40 in, what, September? She's talked about extending her family. As women, we have to think about age because it is a factor this, I don't, there's a lot of thinking for her to do now because she's looking so good, but she's still not getting the results that she would want and she would expect. And there's this magic number of 24 and we can do the debate of Margaret Court, you know, open it or not open it, et cetera, But it's the number that she is looking to get to. She's one short of. And, you know, as the slams go by, it's not going to get any easier.
1: It's not going to get any easier. I think the answer is... To, is she okay with it I think she's been fairly vocal and that she's not okay with it that she wants another slam that's what she's she's doing it for so yeah I guess she's kind of not but she looked really good, Look so good. in Oz yeah. but she came up against Osaka I think if she'd been in the other half of the draw she could have made the final again but she wouldn't have beaten Osaka <laughs> that because Osaka's the you know she's the best player in the tournament so yeah and, and I don't know. I think it's a it's a very intriguing one. What did you make of the whole when she lost that match and you know, she was quite emotional and she you know, she put a hand to her heart and all that sort of stuff? Because a lot of people were reading into that that she wasn't going back to Melbourne. It was almost like her saying that this is it.
0: Yeah. And afterwards, she said, "Look, if if it was, I you know, I wouldn't tell you. I wouldn't tell you that I was going to say goodbye." And and I get it. And it's emotional. And she had to leave the press conference in tears because. Look, we were all saying it. How good did she look? How mobile did she look? How her defense was amazing. Like everything was so good. And even I told you the first time in a a few years, I was thinking, well, hang on a second. Although I'd like her to get it, I didn't think she would, but maybe she would, and then she didn't. So imagine the hammer blow on her, being in the shape she had got herself into and still falling short. I think there's the biggest thing for me is if she wants to start a family and I know people say why do we go on about this because when you you head towards 40 you know I don't have all the medical stats in front of me but you go past the age of 40 it's a lot harder to get pregnant to have children to have a healthy baby all those things get a lot lot harder as we get older if she wants to add to her family it's something you've got to think about so I think that Look, she's got so much to do off the court. It's not a, She's not playing because she doesn't want to hang up her racket and doesn't know what to do. She has so much that she will do when she stops playing tennis. She's got her husband, her daughter. She has her life and it's set. But for me, it's really, if she's going to expand her family, if she doesn't want to, if she's happy with the three of them, which is great, then I think you could look at another a year or two, especially if she keeps this form and plays the way she's playing. But I do believe she wants to expand her family it really shortens the time she's got left so possibly there was a it wasn't a definite goodbye but you know she gets halfway through the year maybe she does look what if she wins roland garros and wimbledon right she's then done what she wanted to do she can pretty much stop at that point you know it's it's a long time till we get back to melbourne in terms of for her there's another three slams if she achieves what she wants to achieve maybe it's as quick as i've done it that's what i wanted i'm done now so so maybe there will not be Another showing of Serena Williams at Melbourne, or do we find ourselves in this position in a year's time? She's still one short, and she believes she can give it another go. So I don't think anything's set. I think we'll see how the year unfolds. And there's Olympics. We still believe at the end of it, but uh, it could be the last time we see. Oh, I you mean, just never know what the rest of this year will hold for her. I think though that that Wimbledon. Oh, I just got a sneaky
1: suspicion because, as I say, I don't think Osaka is quite ready on the grass. She could easily prove me wrong and barely lose a game, to be honest. <laughs> but that's just, I think she will get to grips with the grass, but it will just take her a little bit of time. And with Serena playing as well as she did, the Australian Open, and yeah. she is by far and away the most experienced grass courter of anybody, just because of the amount of grass court seasons she's played in, <laughs> because people don't play on grass the rest of the time. It just, it doesn't really happen. So, that could be the one that she sort of pegs. I think French Open Roland Garros is going to be tough just physically. he has been struggling with that knee; it tends to flare up around that time as well on the clay. So yeah, I wouldn't be backing her for that. But I think yeah, could if she's feeling good and Osaka's sort of you know not not quite got to grips with the grass just yet, could come through and take that one.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be I, it's going to be really interesting to see how things play out over the next few months in terms of when we've still got COVID and the traveling and the bubbles and players deciding not to travel and then traveling and playing and not playing. One thing we saw on the men's side of things is there's still a massive gulf. There's still a massive gulf between a Djokovic in this case or a Nadal or a Federer playing at their peak and the chasing pack. Because that final between Djokovic and Medvedev, I was there was four of us in our commentary room. And I I said to everyone, you've got one final chance to switch because everyone had gone Djokovic at the beginning. Two people jump ship to Medvedev. And I can see why on a 20 match unbeaten run, full of confidence, been in a Grand Slam final before, playing so well. So two jump ship to Djokovic. But boy, Djokovic with a muscle tear to some degree. Look what he did to Medvedev in the final. He destroyed him. Destroyed
1: him. (laughs) I think he destroyed him sort of emotionally as well because he just didn't know what to do. And yeah, I, I got sucked in a little bit because last time on the pod, I th- before the final, I think I said it would be 50-50 Medvedev-Djokovic yeah. final, but that Djokovic would win because he's won a lot before. I can tell you it was not 50-50. <laughs> that was not what I had in mind. And I, I can put myself in the category of being sucked in to... Them, somebody being able to beat Djokovic, but remember it's Djokovic on Rod Laver. Yeah. That is not far away from Nadal on Philippe Chatrier. It is a ridiculous ask. Even Nadal got chopped by Djokovic last time they played on Rod Laver, and Djokovic got chopped by Nadal on Philippe Chatrier. That's how tough it is. That Nadal on Philippe Chatrier is that ridiculous? It's that bonkers and sort of an undertaking that Djokovic loses the first set six love, and then on the flip side with Djokovic on Rod Laver, it's that <laughs> bonkers a sporting feat to even try and compete with the guy that Nadal got, ch- I, I don't know, he only won a couple of, two or three games in each set, it was pretty pretty straightforward. It's absolutely ridiculous, as you say, those golfs that just come at these certain times of the year and Medvedev is world number four and it's not even like he's just ranked number four, he is legitimately the fourth best player in the world, absolutely and, he was made just to look like a, just an average player. Just He was just made to look stupid. He couldn't even compete with the guy. He didn't even threaten to win at all. And he was on the court looking at his team saying, I don't know what to do. <laughs> this guy is so good. And some of the quotes that came out from Medvedev that people picked up from him, him in the tunnel like after the match, just it's just another level. I mean, in what other sport, you might actually have an answer to this, but in what other sport would the number four be made to look that much worse than the number one? I just, I can't comprehend it at all. Like the fourth best golfer against the the world number one could probably beat the world number one a lot of the time. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's absolutely extraordinary. And look, okay, Medvedev, he can get the win on a best of three. We've, we've seen him do that. But best of five, Grand Slam final. <laughs> Thanks for coming.
0: That's the thing. That's the added thing. It was a Grand Slam final. And yes, Medvedev has been in a Grand Slam final before and he pushed Nadal to five sets at the US Open. But this is however much money and he's got all these sponsors with watches and banks and cars and he's absolutely set for life and he lives in Monte Carlo. It's all wonderful. It will still be a game changer, a life changer if he becomes a Grand Slam champion. How many Grand Slam champions are in the world? There's not that many. And in recent years, there's not that many because they've shared it among an elite group. To be a Grand Slam champion, it's another level. You're talked about differently. Dominic Team is now a Grand Slam champion. He beat... Zverev in that final at US Open, it's a massive thing. And to come up against Djokovic, who blew two opportunities the year before, he was nailed on for that US Open before he was defaulted. Absolutely, I believe, 100% nailed on to win that. Roland Garros, as you say, I mean, Nadal, despite hating everything about the tournament that year, was sensational. And Djokovic, despite having this tear that he said grew a little bit throughout the tournament, he wasn't going to let another one go. Not a chance. Was he letting a third one go in a row? Not a chance. If he's going to catch up with Federer and Nadal, if he's to overtake them, if he's to overtake everybody and be the greatest of all time in terms of titles, he wanted that. I mean, I, I don't know, you tell me, how, how can you play with a with a tear? I mean, is that, how much damage is that doing to you playing, playing with a tear? Well, the tear was getting bigger and bigger, so that's the damage. Yeah. Really,
1: uh, and it's just sort of the the choice you make. I mean, you you know it's going to get bigger each time you play, and it will be in the back of your mind, and it's a a bit of a pain. Uh, I mean, literally, it will be painful. But uh, just sort of, it's just always lingering there because you don't want to do too much damage for it. You have to sort of make that get that balance right. But you know, he would he would know with all of his sports scientists around and physios. How long the recovery would be for a certain size tear, so you just sort of chalk it up as to what's worth it. Is a six-week recovery worth winning the Australian Open? I think most people would say yes, it is. So I don't know if it's six weeks or however long it's going to be, but you know he'll have to see. Uh, And it's just about weighing up those options. But I have just thought of somebody who made the golf between him as the world number one and the number four
0: look stupid I thought you seemed a bit distracted is that what you were thinking yes of? you were kind of talking but sort of thinking I was going through
1: all the different <laughs> sports and I was thinking well maybe sort of Brady now that he won the Super Bowl with a brand new team and he was playing against Mahomes and he's the half a billion dollar guy And I was like no nah, it's just not really the same league and I remember well, obviously Serena is the, the very obvious choice she did it for years I think probably made the number four in the world look pretty Pretty yeah, silly absolutely. in grand slam finals, uh, but in other, I did say in what other sport is it possible? <laughs> so in other sports, and I thought of it at his peak, Usain Bolt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because he was jogging through the finish line <laughs> pretty much, and he was like half a second. Well, I say half a second; it's probably less than that. But it's that's a lot. That's a lot in a hundred meter sprint. That's a good right? chat. did you think that? You think that's fair? Like, I mean, he made people look. Silly. Yeah, I think that. And they're they're straining, and he he's smiling at the camera turning and smiling at the cameras, he wins yeah, I the gold medal and breaks a world record. If anyone listening
0: think that's either that's a bad shout or they've got a better one, you know, get in touch with us. But I think, I think that's a good shout. I think because, you know, Djokovic. And just think, that final from Medvedev took him to world number three. If he reaches the Rotterdam final, which he'll be playing the week that most people will be listening to this, he'll become the first player outside of Federer, Djokovic, Nadal and Murray to reach number two since Leighton Hewitt in July 2005. wow and but in his draw he's got Roberto Bautista Agut Sasha Zverev Felix Ogeliassime they're all in his top half little chunk in the in the Rotterdam draw so it's, it's he's on the verge of being world number two and yet he was nowhere near the world number one in that Australian Open final isn't it amazing that Stan Vavrinka never
1: got to number two? It's amazing, isn't it? When you think yeah. of it like that. I mean, because that's probably, he's got to be the next best, yeah. the, the next person if you thought somebody else was a, a number two, you would think of Vavrinka. And of course, Ferrer was number three for yeah. what it felt like forever.
0: <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> he owns that spot.
1: Him and Andy, I think, sort of, shared that that one quite well Djokovic managed to blast through in the end so uh we can
0: he's he's owned the number one spot for long enough but yeah amazing. the younger players are coming they're they're arriving they are they are they are I was about to say <laughs> they're crawling I was, I was about to say they're challenging but then then I was thinking well they're sometimes challenging <laughs> over the best of three set format they're challenging and over the grand slam format they are they are getting there I don't know they're Gosh, it's amazing. Team, team, team. yeah, but he there beats Verev. So, where do we put that? He beats Verev in the fact. Fi- World
1: class final. Oh. <laughs> that, oh, <laughs> um, that, that no, final. no, I
0: know he. I know
1: he beats Verev, yeah. But I think that the build up to that, the fact that he was taking sets off Rafa yeah. at the French Open, yes, I think was was big and sets off set, sets off Djokovic at Australian Open or yeah. no? And, and he's a little bit older. Remember. So team yes, is, he's, he's in the middle, isn't he? But look, hey, I talked about the feat, right? Of Djokovic on Rod Laver and um, yes. in a Grand Slam final. I thought you meant Nadal feet, as in feet. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, okay. Ooh, they're probably gross. But Djokovic <laughs> on Rod Laver in a Grand Slam final. Yes. And Nadal on Philip Shatra in a Grand Slam final. Okay, now, team hasn't won either of those battles, but boy, has he pushed them. Yeah. You know, to be yeah. fair, he, one of the only people, him and probably Andy Murray, there you go. How many more is
0: Djokovic gonna win? Grand Slam titles. He's on eighteen. A He's thirty three.
1: Couple a year. Couple of for year. For a few years. Wow. So Okay. I reckon a uh, I reckon two a year for the next
0: three years minimum, so six more. He's gonna get twenty
1: four. Ooh, ooh.
0: Yeah. That'd be a big number. That's a number that everyone's <laughs> headed for at the moment. <laughs> Whoa, there, there's a number. But I think he'd want to beat Serena. I think he'd want to be the undisputed. He wants to beat everyone. But again, we've said this before, greatest of all time, A, you can't have the discussion until they all stop playing. And B, some people will look at it on numbers and titles. Other people will look at it on the wider picture. And then you, then I think you might have different goats. So I think we might end up with different goats because it depends on your Criteria on what makes the greatest of all time. Recently, something that came out of Australia was Gilles Simon saying, saying that he's taking a break to preserve himself mentally. He says, "My heart is no longer there to travel and play in these conditions." He put it out on social media, which is 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 sad to hear. But I wouldn't say it's massively surprising in terms of. Everything they are going through and what people across the world are going through in order for as a tennis player to play a tennis tournament. I mean, these are very different and difficult times. It's tough. Really, really tough. Look, it's tough at the best of times.
1: Travelling as a tennis player, 30, 35 weeks a year, country to country to country. I mean, it feels like you're in a circus. It is really, really full on. You know, permanently jet-lagged, all these things that you know I've I've talked at length about before, and it's part of the reason that I couldn't do it anymore. I just you know it was just too tough, and there are loads of players who are like that. So to then add in this extra difficulty, making scheduling an absolute headache, and then then quarantining and the stress of it all. I mean, if you were sort of just about okay with the lifestyle before, it's just taken on a whole new level. So I'm absolutely not surprised, and sort of I don't know credit to him for saying actually, it's just not what I want to do right now. Because it can be very easy once you're on the treadmill just to keep going and keep going. And then it sort of really ne- negatively affects you. But yeah, it's a tough lifestyle at the best of times. And it has just got a whole lot tougher.
0: The only thing I can compare it to, and it and it's it's not the same, but it is, was when I was in Manchester covering the Australian Open for the BBC. Now, the UK is in lockdown. As I say, it's, it's, it's nowhere near what he's going through, but it's the only thing I can compare it to from my point of view. So you're in your hotel room, we'd wake up at, I don't know 3am or something ridiculous you'd go to the studio you'd then be on air for the hours you were on air and then you came back and I would go for a run but then you'd just go and sit in your hotel room so you could be sat in your hotel room from I don't know 3pm till you woke up at 3am the next day and you'd get food delivered to your door because there were no restaurants to go to and that's basically what we repeated and yes we could go out running. And I know in Melbourne, they had the element of freedom of once they'd gone through the quarantine. But at the end of those two weeks, I was happy to come home. And despite still being locked down, you know, my family's here, et cetera, et cetera. Could I have then gone on and done that at another tournament, and another tournament? I think it would have been really difficult because, you you know, you're spending a lot of time on your own. And there isn't even, in our situation, that social interaction of having dinner at a restaurant with someone or you really were hotel, studio, I'd go for my little run back to hotel. It's it's tough. And look, I did it I did it for 2 weeks and it was fine, but as I say, would I wanted to continue doing that? Probably not, if I'm honest. It's really difficult, isn't it? It's I don't know, did he
1: did he actually refer to the quarantine in Australian Open at all because I know there were some other players who said that they just didn't
0: think it was worth it. No, I think for him it's more everything you're having to go through to you know there's so much thinking of how you can plan to be somewhere and being away from family and maybe in the past you know your family can trot along to join you but they can't now because things are behind closed doors and you can't you know it's it's really strict and it has to be that way and we understand why it's that way right but he just and look Gilles Simon's been on the tour for so many years that he was probably there's an element of, him and there was probably like this is you know what I mean it was tough anyway and with everything that's been added on I, I sort of I don't I can understand why he's decided just to step back until things ease up. I get it.
1: Yeah, I just, I can totally get it. I'm sure he won't be the only one, especially if it looks like these restrictions are just going to continue on. And we were talking about like the um, potential bubbles uh, that they could maybe do at different slams. And it's also something that I, I do say quite often, but like, it's about what's worth it. Like the the quarantine to play the Australian Open, I think the vast vast majority of players thought that was wor- that was worth it, and they also got some other events as well out there. So they did get that little bubble block of of tournaments, and they got the opportunity of the Australian Open and a, a nice paycheck as well. And I think then if you talk to them about say, oh, could you do a similar thing for the French Open and Wimbledon, and U.S. Open? Then maybe, but it, it's it's the other tournaments as well. It then becomes even more relentless and. Is it worth it from from week to week if the tournaments aren't bubbled and you're having to do, you're having to jump through all of these hoops or potentially quarantine or whatever it is and be relentlessly tested, so that you could play w- just one week, one tournament, potentially one match, and that's it. So that's where it starts becoming well, is this just doing more harm than good to a particular individual, and obviously for Simon he he thinks it is. So I just want to have a break from it.
0: I want to talk to you about appearance fees. Now, I know they're legal, so it's not that anyone's doing anything illegally. And if you pay the right money to the right player, it can really make your tournament in terms of ticket sales, the publicity you'll get, the press that will attend. So so I get why smaller tournaments would look to really put a lot of their eggs in one basket, because if you have a feather for your tournament, I mean, you're sorted, right? I get it. Now, there's been a bit on social media because... the um, tournament director from Acapulco has come out and, and Nadal had said he was pulling out of Rostam and Acapulco because of his back and it was decided that he needed to rest his back. The tournament director has come out and said, look, there are no funds with which to pay Nadal. We just, we couldn't afford it this year. And then he said, re Sashizverev, he said, we have a confirmed agreement and it would cost more to cancel than to actually pay him to be here. So, and again, I, they're legal and I get it, but wouldn't you think in a year like this, that players would just waive the appearance fees when there are tournaments struggling to survive. Some have gone under. That it, It's not as though if X doesn't get his million dollars that he's going to go bankrupt. Do you see what I mean? I just, I don't know. It just, they don't, I, appearance fees, appearance fees, I get why they're there, but in the times we're in at the moment, it just doesn't sit right. And I see what you're saying. I suppose from the players' perspectives,
1: the general feeling across almost all players is that they do not get a big enough cut of prize money, full stop. And I think that is uh, definitely what they think about Grand Slams, but I think that's what they think about most tournaments, to be honest. Um, I think John Isner was tweeting about that this week, uh, how the, the, the cuts, yeah. I mean, he's, he's always been a, a big supporter of, of changing that. And I, I suppose, uh, this isn't necessarily my opinion, but I think that a lot of players would think it's not, up to me to save the tournament it's up to the atp to do that it's their tournament um and we've t- we talked a, a, a quite some time ago now about the structure of tournaments and how it works and the atp does not pay for everything in acapulco the tournament sponsors or whoever's putting on that tournament would, would put it on for example so Um, If we just use the example of the British grass court events, it's the LTA that is hosting those tournaments. So they will pay the vast majority of the money. And the ATP, of course, contribute in very specific areas. But it's up to the LTA, who, who is the British Federation, to make those tournaments financially viable. Or if they want to lose money, they can lose money or pay appearance fees. They can pay appearance fees. They can do whatever they want within that. They just have to meet the criteria
0: that the ATP set. So I think... That some but do you players, not think, do you not think this year, just this year, when tournaments are going under, everything's really stretched, everything is really difficult for everyone? Player X, who's earned over, I don't know, a hundred million dollars in prize money, isn't going to suffer, c- can have no complaints about finances. Just to say, you know, I will come and let's just waiver my fee or give it to a charity for this year. I'm not saying forever, but just say this yeah. year. I get it. Stuff's really difficult, and you're just about hanging on because you didn't have your tournament last year because of COVID. You know, this year, either take a tiny amount or say, look, don't worry about that. I'm not telling them to to waive them forever because they can really make a tournament, and their their they their presence can change a tournament completely. Um, so, you know, so I understand all that. And it's why some footballers are bought by a club and it's it's the image rights to the important thing. Even if the player doesn't play a lot, it doesn't matter. Their name on shirts will probably get back the money they spent on bringing that player into the club. I'm thinking of, of David Beckham as an example when he went to Real Madrid. So I, I understand all of that. I'm just thinking in these times when there's a lot of people suffering out there for these multi-millionaire players who are the ones getting the appearance fees. It's not like they're giving them to the lower-ranked players just to say, you know what, this year, don't worry about it. I'll come and I'll play and I'll be at the tournament. I don't know. I just, It doesn't sit massively right that they're still taking massive appearance fees. There will be some players that I think would fall into that category and would
1: automatically just try and support the tournament. But, for example, what John Isner was talking about was... Uh, I think he was referring to the prize money in Miami, which is significantly yes, yeah, reduced. Was, yeah, right. It's significantly reduced for the winner. They're getting a few hundred thousand dollars rather than one point something million. Is that is that about right? Yeah. I don't have the yeah. tweet in front of you, but it's something like that. And he was saying, why should the players be taking the hit? Why should the players not be earning the money when the execs and everybody who works the ATP has not taken a significant pay cut? There are other people who could be helping to support these tournaments and and that sort of thing. Now, I, to, to be honest, I don't really know m- enough about it. I don't know enough about who's done what in terms of pay cuts and that sort of thing. But it is interesting that the expectation is that, that the players will sort of take that hit. And actually, one of the points that he made was that we have a very limited amount of time to make our money. That That's it, you know. Any player could get injured at any time and not be able to play anymore. You could end up like Bianca Andreescu or Juan Martín del Potro. And you don't get to make your multi-multi-millions over your career that you thought you were going to. So I'm not saying that's the reason why somebody like Zverev wouldn't um, just say to the tournament, take the money. But... I don't think it's as black and white as they're just taking money away from a struggling tournament. I think they feel like, sure, the tournament should be helped, but should that fall
0: on me? I don't know. I understand with prize money. I understand you're talking about John Isner. I get that, you know, I, I can see why he's saying, look, you can't cut prize money because this is our living. It's it's more appearance fee. Do you see what I mean? So, and I know at Masters, but it's you a don't contract, get, right? Like That's the contract that the tournament
1: that that they decided to to start. that's the business that they've done they've paid they've made a contract with that player saying this is how much we're going to give you if you commit to play this many times
0: and we should say and, this and- this doesn't come into masters they they it can only be like the, the 250 and the 500 it's not at a masters level because they're they're mandatory events so that's not when you get appearance fees um and and I know they've made the contract I just think in the current climate when everyone's struggling tournaments might not survive to have to then pay between half a million and a million dollars to a player to turn up who will then play the tournament and probably, well, they might lose in the in their first match or they might go on and win it and make their prize. I don't yet, yeah, but I understand if they're, the concerns about prize money being cut, they should still be earning their prize money because they are working so hard to do it. And again, things like exhibitions and, and appearance fees, I understand why they're there. I just think at the moment in the current climate that it doesn't, sit that right not prize money i think i don't think that should be cut but appearance fees is where i'm kind of sat with it just doesn't sit quite right right now yeah and i i get it and to be honest i probably lean
1: more in your direction of thinking but i'm just sort of playing a bit of devil's advocate and yeah explaining sort of why they might not have that mentality they're not just being arsey about it you know they're not just being greedy i think there is some sort of uh you know thinking behind it and ultimately yeah you know you, you sign a contract there are an awful lot of businesses that have gone bust because they were not prepared for a pandemic and if a tennis tournament is another one that's just do you see what i mean like if you're just going to yeah, be really yeah. quite cold and pragmatic about it they, you know there will be you know hundreds of thousands of businesses worldwide way more than that to be honest that that were not prepared for this and the tournaments are ultimately in de- independent businesses Uh, and if they weren't prepared um, like Wimbledon were prepared and were fine to miss their tournament for a year then uh, you know that that's it's different but I'm not saying they should have been prepared I mean who the hell was prepared for a pandemic apart from Wimbledon no one is the answer (laughs) the answer is no one I'm not saying well Acapulco really should have thought this through (laughs) no but it's just sort of another casualty ultimately isn't it if if they weren't able to to survive it as a as a tournament um whether the pressure should fall on the ATP to prop them up or for the players to financially help them or however it goes i don't i don't yeah I, I, I honestly i i don't know enough about it i wouldn't know which way to fall i do lean in your direction though i think if i was in that situation i'd probably say look guys let's just leave it for a while but yeah i
0: don't, i i think it's tricky we've we've had some glorious nominees for the world sports awards and you you might not agree with this uh you might i don't know okay sportswoman Naomi Osaka's in there right yeah i agree with that can understand that not in there was Sophia Kennan who if we're talking just tennis players last year got better results she was the player of the year but then it kind of makes you think that maybe they're looking at the bigger picture you know that what Osaka was doing off court, so I, I sort of get that. But breakthrough player of the year, I'm just talking tennis players here. Dominic teams right. in there for winning the U.S. Open. Yeah, Iga Swiatek's in there for winning Roland Garros. Yeah. So where's Kenin? So is it is <sighs> it because is it because she's American and somehow because of the the people, the sports and the players you have in America, you've got to do so much more to get, an, to get a look at i don't, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out because, and I know I was working with someone during Australia and they said to me, I really don't like a, you know, And then there was a lot of chatter when Kenin she went on to have a, appendicitis and have her appendix removed, but she was talking about the pressure on herself. And a lot of people were saying, well, look, no one's been talking about you and you're putting this pressure on yourself and kind of, who are you? She still won the Australian Open last year she still is a grand slam champion and m- maybe she does think she's slightly bigger deal than she is i don't know but surely she gets into breakthrough category if you've got two other maiden winners of grand slams right or not right no yes no
1: it's interesting isn't it i mean we've done a, we've done quite a few
0: Kenan podcasts,
1: haven't we? Really, that yeah. we've we've had a big, big focus on them, and I'd definitely encourage people to listen to them because I'm a big defender of hers, and
0: absolutely, and I
1: I can really understand why people don't get her and why people don't like her. But I think if they just viewed it from a slightly different perspective, then they really could. Um, so I would, yeah, definitely encourage people to to re-listen to to those because we had some really fascinating conversations about her. <laughs> I think that actually it's the same thing. I think it's just hard for people to grab hold of what she's done and what she's doing. And, I mean, immediately I want to say, okay, she won the slam, but she didn't really do much else. But then Shiontek was quite similar in that she didn't
0: really do much else. Yeah, and team, to a degree. I mean, they're being recognised for an incredible achievement which is winning a Grand Slam title, which she did at the start of the year when we weren't in a pandemic and there weren't less. You know, she she had the full field. You didn't beat the full field. You didn't have to beat a full field. But she was at the start of the year when when everyone was there. Yeah, I'm not I'm yeah. not taking anything away from from Team and it They had. You could say maybe theirs was better because it was in trickier conditions with everything we're going through. I just and I kind of get why maybe in sportswoman Osaka gets the nod for. Everything she's done for sport, on and off. I, but I'm just wondering, is it because Kenen's American and maybe the bar is set higher for American sportsmen and no, women? I don't, I don't I, think I, so. I think for the,
1: um, for the uh, sportswoman, totally get the Osaka thing. Like, yeah, a- yeah. absolutely. She's the number one female earning athlete in the world. Yeah, you know, all, all these different sorts of things. She's, you know, by far and away, makes total sense. And I'm sure there is an element, even if it's unconscious, that they would include the overall package. You just can't not. I'm here so Come on. She's, she's awesome. When it comes to Kenan, it's a bit more confusing because I agree with you. I mean, you've asked me, I think a number of times on this pod, why do people just not think enough of her? Why is she just, why do people forget about her? Why, why is it not a thing? Why do people not think of her as a grand slam champion when she is? So yeah, I don't really have a straight answer for you. I, I don't know would I have picked Shiontek over Kenin? I'm not. I'm not sure. I, would you have picked one and then not the other? I don't. I don't know. I, it's a. It's a bizarre thing.
0: It is. They, they both both an incredible thing. Shvantek, look, she didn't drop a set all the way, and she picks up her first title at the Grand Slam. It, it, absolutely incredible what she did. But then I, I thought Kenin at the start of the year. I know she's got this petulant thing where she stamps her foot and she yells and screams and cries. And this person I'm speaking to during the Australian Open was saying, I don't like her attitude. I don't like her petulance. But God, you've got to admire her fight. You've got to admire I, her steal. You see, this, this, is what, this is what irritates me. Like you don't like her attitude. Like, her attitude is
1: phenomenal. Her attitude is the entire reason why she's a Grand Slam champion. You cannot look at her game purely her game and tell me that that is the game of a Grand Slam champion it is so much about her and her attitude and yet yeah, it doesn't come across great and she's not all friendly and fluffy and lovely and just so happy to be here all the time of course not but she is hard as nails and she fights like it on the court I mean she does have some unbelievable skill that I think goes really overlooked I talked about it in some of those Kenin podcasts how she changes direction down the line it is effortless it is unbelievably well disguised and the technique is absolutely stunning on it but She doesn't have that sort of aesthetically pleasing game. She doesn't have the sort of movement that you would expect of Hallop And you cannot put her in a box, the big hitting box, the defending box, the counter-punching, the grinding, the you know the athletic, the, the hand skills, the, what, serve and volley, if we have any serve and volleys, any of them, you cannot put her in a box. She doesn't go into any of them. She does totally her own thing and she does it with a hell of a lot of attitude. And I, I think that it's i think it's really i find it really difficult to hear somebody say because i hear it all the time as well lots of people that don't like her feel free to not like her but to hold the one thing that has made her a grand slam champion against her just doesn't make any sense at all like oh you know i don't like you know don't like the attitude that she brings to the court and that she's just that that competitive well okay you take that away from her and she's ranked 40 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, why would you do that to her that's no one's going to do that do you know what I mean but do you know what actually I would say that it's something people find it really difficult to detach sort of their ideological feelings and views on players an awful lot it's something I've seen a lot with coaching in that there, there can be something about a player that they don't like personally and they try and stamp it out even though it's the the thing that's the thing that you want to cling on to with the player you know I I think that if you talk about sort of juniors and who's going to be good it's so impossible because players change and kids change teenagers change and they can change overnight but there's just got to be one thing that you can cling on to. And it could be the big hitting of Kvitova. And you can cling on to that and go, if that all goes in, she's going to win some tournaments. It could be the athleticism of Halep. It could be the competitiveness of a player or you know, whatever it might be, the hand skills. But there's got to be something to cling on to. And with Kennan it is that level of competitiveness and that attitude and the fact that she does not care or have any respect for the person down any other end of the court. And as a consequence, she's won a Grand Slam and has achieved so so much and then people people will be like oh, she's a bit disrespectful to her opponents <laughs> well yeah because that's how she won the Grand Slam wouldn't you do that if you were going to win millions of dollars but it's amazing because sometimes I really do see coaches try and bash out the one streak in the player that is the thing that is going to make them good if it's a player sometimes I hear them say you know she's just a bit too difficult She's just difficult to deal with And it's like but being difficult is really good for a tennis player. You need that. You need to channel it and send it down the other end of the court and you might have yourself a player. If you get rid of that difficultness or that difficult streak. Difficultness? That's not a word. (laughs) If you get rid of that (laughs) difficult streak in your player, you are left with an average player. And people sometimes just can't see past what they would like in their own son or daughter, and actually just view them as an athlete. And you look at Kenny, you look at her as an athlete, and yeah, look, you're not going to be friends, but she doesn't want to be friends. She wants to be a Grand Slam champion, multi-millionaire, and she is.
0: You have to keep some of the. Look, we can go back to Kyrios. If you took out all the Kyriosness out of Kyrios, he'd be half the player. I know sometimes he looks like half exactly. the player, but you've got to.
1: Do you know what? it's exactly the same thing? People don't get him they find him disrespectful and, and 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 but he if he wasn't disrespectful he would not have beaten Djokovic three times and like like he wouldn't have done any of yeah. that if he wasn't disrespectful
0: yeah. no i i agree so i just yeah i looked at this and i thought oh poor
1: old kenan um, have you i know I, look, we're on this you know, we we're going to turn into like a kenan fan club
0: here <laughs> we should do like a kenan like a monthly pod just on kenan <laughs> well she's recovering from appendicitis right now that, that we do know. She managed to watch some of the matches at the back end of the Australian Open. Have you finished your 5K yet, or do we need to get Ken in to kind of yell and scream <laughs> at you to, to get you going? <laughs> that'd be terrifying. Be, that'd be absolutely It'd run terrifying. Fast. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done oh, it wait. yet? i tell you. If I you finished... know, I've
1: got um, two more runs. The plan is to do the 5K yeah. next weekend. I did 4K yesterday. Oh, how was that? How'd you feel? But well, it was okay. It was yeah. 4K, so it was fine. Uh, If you'd have told me, okay, now you've got to run one more, I would have been able to do it. So that's, that's that's,
0: I'm feeling pretty confident. It's not going to be quick. (laughs) Well, look, you don't have to worry about that with me, mine. I went on a run yesterday just to sort of get out, get some air, get some, you know, um, and it was really busy because everyone's kind of out, because the weather's nice, where I normally run. So I went another road, and I was listening to a podcast, just, you know, tootling along, and I got lost. (laughs) And I I'd just sort of been looking down at my feet and like following the path. And I looked up and I was kind of lost. And I was like, Oh, God, and I'd run quite a long way, but slowly. So then you then the realisation hits you how far away from home you are, and how long it'll take you to get back. (laughs) And I had that moment of uh, and I thought well there's no point walking because it'll take me even longer so off I went Julie off I went again so it's uh, and actually my my other half bought me some new running shoes because he looked at mine and which are covered in holes and he was like you can't wear those and I was like no they're fine I mean they're fine and he's like no you seriously can't wear those <laughs> so I've got some new shoes they're not going to make me run any faster um, but it's going to stop the water getting in because there's not going to be so many holes. So <laughs> that was, that was my, my big news of this week, together with learning more about Queen Elizabeth II than I thought I would ever want or need to know in homeschooling. Yes, and so, for our
1: international listeners, the, uh, the British education system is quite monarchy-based. Yes, <laughs> when you are youngsters, <laughs>
0: the twins can now tell you where she lives, how many corgi she has, how many children she has, when she was born, the fact she is head of state. What I mean, and every day we've had another talk We had to make a poster about Queen Elizabeth the it's Second. Quite, it's quite early for them to be doing that because I thought that we when I think so when I did
1: it as a kid, each year you went to like the next one, you know. So you might have done Henry the Eighth, and then you haven't done henry do you know yet. what i mean
0: each year yeah. you do oh so they're, they're starting we're starting going they're straight go, in. working backwards we're straight in and and the other thing that's slightly concerning is the maths is getting quite complicated now they're five and i'm having to start checking answers with a calculator on my phone <laughs> i think can I, are you I doing think, it sneakily like i'm just I just gonna it, pop a yeah. kettle on just see what the weather's like look at my phone <laughs> i think it says more about how bad I am and was at maths and always have been at maths. Numbers are not my thing. But I think it says more about me than uh, than what they're learning. But yeah, it's getting to the point where I'm... A, I either don't understand the question, which is a bad start, and they're like, mummy, what are we doing? I'm like, not sure. Or when they're like rattling through, I'm having to get my calculator out to check that that is the right answer. So, But the good yeah. news is there's, there's one week of homeschooling left. Yay. And then from the 8th of March... Uh, schools in the UK open open so they'll be going back to school they'll be with their friends which is great and their teachers can take over the homeschooling schooling and well a we will have more time so we can probably get ourselves back on a on a steady podcast record but yeah I you know it I'll miss having them at home but I'm not going to miss honestly every night I, I dread when I open this app and I see the amount of tasks that we have to do the next day I can't tell you I mean it is it is full on so yeah a week of that left um, and then that will be done hopefully for quite a long time so you've got your 5k to finish yeah I've got Queen Elizabeth II's life. I was about to say to finish, but that sounds a bit. It sounds a bit uh, just to to continue on with, mm. yeah. And and the tennis is happening everywhere. Continues to happen thick and fast. So there's always going to be loads for us to talk about. Always. Well, good luck with the homeschooling. <laughs> oh. Yeah.